Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. When a person begins to participate in the world that they're a part of, it doesn't normally take very long for them to figure out that this is not heaven. In order to deal with this, people do their best to try to structure their lives and make decisions in their lives to improve their quality of life so that they can find a way to have some kind of a heaven for themselves in whatever way they possibly can. And I can understand this. I can appreciate it. I myself make decisions in my life all the time to try to improve my own personal quality of life. Unfortunately, this is not heaven. And regardless of how much effort we put in to trying to protect ourselves from the sufferings that we experience in this world, we are still going to experience sufferings. So how do we cope with that? How do we deal with the sufferings of life? Well, there are many different ways that people respond to the situations that they are confronted with in their lives. There are many different ways that people respond to that. But what I would like to talk about in this program is the response that people have that they look to God to try to find some way to justify or explain in some way to deal with the sufferings that they are exposed to, with the terrible things that are happening around them or in their lives. They will look to God either for divine intervention to fix these problems or to give some kind of an explanation to show that God is still in control and that he is doing this for a reason, that things happen for a reason. People really want to believe that things happen for a reason. Now, I want you to know that I do not believe that things happen for a reason. I just don't. I believe that there is a reason why things happen, but I do not believe that things happen for a reason. I don't believe that. The reason why I don't believe that is because I believe in a God who is an active participant in the world that we are a part of. And I have used this phrase in a lot of my radio programs that I have already produced. The idea that God is an active participant. And if you've been listening to me for very long, you should hopefully recognize that phrase that I use and recognize that this is something that is very unusual in the world that we are a part of, in the Christian world and in the non-Christian world. The idea that God would be an active participant sounds good, But it is a phrase that has virtually no meaning to anyone. And I understand that when I use that phrase. I do. I understand that the vast majority of people who hear me use that phrase have no concept of what it means. And I'm not talking about an accurate definition. I'm talking about a definition at all. What does that mean to say that God is an active participant? Well, it means a lot. It means a lot. Because when I say that he's participating then that implies, that means that he is not the only one who is involved here. But people believe that God is the one who has decided 
how all things are going to unfold in all ways, in everyone's life, in all aspects of the entirety of the universe, that there is nothing that happens unless God makes it happen. And if God makes it happen, he does it for a reason. So what happens when people experience pain and suffering in their lives? How do they respond to that? How do they deal with that? Well, if a person does not acknowledge the existence of God, then they do something about it. They do something in general. People will do something to change the circumstances of their life. They will do things to improve the quality of their life. They will do things. People will react. They will respond. They will participate. They will make decisions. They will suffer consequences. And they will make decisions that will give them an advantage. People interact with other people without any acknowledgement of God at all. And they either benefit from their decisions or they suffer from their decisions. And other people either benefit from their decisions or suffer from their decisions. This is the way the world works. But then from a religious point of view, when people discover that there's a God, perhaps, that maybe things are being orchestrated by him to such a degree that there is no maverick molecule in the universe, then people will tend to abandon, they abandon their own personal responsibilities for themselves in this life. They either abandon that or they don't have the capability of being responsible for themselves anyway. And so it can be quite convenient for people to turn to religion for answers to all the problems that they're dealing with. And so they go to people, pastors, ministers, priests, people come to me, I'm a pastor, and they talk to me. They ask people, why is this happening to me? And how can I deal with this? And how do I respond to this so that God will fix this? Because God is the one who's responsible for all the things that are happening in my life, and so he's got to find some way to either justify this or fix it and do it now. And so what do people do? They open up Romans chapter 8, usually verse 28 in this kind of a situation. This is a very popular one, where the pastor will sit down with this person and say, well, let's look at the word of God and see what he has to say. And in verse 28, this is Romans chapter 8, verse 28, it says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. And this becomes the solution. This becomes the answer to all of your problems in life. And that is to just know that he will cause all things to work together for good. And so if you are experiencing great trauma and suffering in your life, just believe Just believe that God causes all things to work together for good. And so if you will just have some patience, you will see how he is working in your life and good will come out of this. And then the person can't help but ask the question, but generally is afraid or embarrassed to do so. They can't help but ask the question, at least of themselves, of how long is this going to take? How long is it going to be before God fixes this? Or he brings some kind of a result that shows me that he is the one who is in control and that he has good in mind. And it had better be something greater than all the problems that I'm dealing with. It's going to have to compensate. Compensate in a big way for all of my suffering and loss in my life. That's how people think. That's what people expect of God. And eventually they're probably going to discover that things are not improving that they are not being properly compensated for all the problems and all the suffering that obviously God is responsible for. And so 
who is this God and what's the problem here and when is he going to fix this and when is he going to cause some good to result out of all of this evil? When is that going to happen? They go back to their pastor and say, listen, you've been telling me this for years, for decades maybe, and I still don't see enough good coming out of what happened here. And so you had better find a way to fix this or justify this or give me some kind of other explanation or I'm going to walk out of here and I will never ever come back to you ever again. And I personally think that would be a good idea because to me this is a form of spiritual abuse. It's a form of spiritual abuse because this is a God who is a living God who is actively involved in our lives and we are actively involved in our lives as well. And to put everything on him and say everything is his fault, I think is a very childish way of dealing with the life that you are a part of. But don't worry, it gets even better. Here's the next thing that you'll get to hear. And that is, well, listen, now you might be right here. Maybe, maybe you're right to say that things are not working out like perhaps they should. Maybe we don't have enough good happening here. Maybe there isn't a justification for all the suffering and all the failure and all the sin that you've had to deal with. Maybe there is something wrong here. What could that be? Well, let's look at this verse a little bit more closely. It says here, again in verse 28, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Well, now looking at this verse a little bit more carefully, I believe that we've got two conditions here. We have two conditions that maybe we can put on you. So instead of dealing with the responsibilities that you have for yourself, In this life that you're a part of, now we have some other concerns that we can deal with. We can substitute your failure to deal with your problems with something else. And this is what it is. That is that you need to love God. Again, in verse 28, God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. Now, do you love God? Doesn't that sound like a good question? Doesn't that sound like an appropriate question? Do you love God or do you not love God? Because if you don't love God, then what makes you think that he needs to intervene in your life and cause anything to work together for good? You see what has just happened? What has just happened is that you are now to blame for all of the problems in your life. Now, I have spoken about responsibility and that you need to solve problems and that you need to deal with with the life that you are in. But by me saying that, I don't mean that it's your fault. I don't mean that. It could very well be somebody else's fault. There can be other causes besides people's own personal failures. But even if it is, for someone to say that it's your fault because you don't love God, that to me becomes a form of spiritual abuse. So this is how it turns out. The way it turns out is a pastor or priest or minister or whoever esteems themselves to be something. They will then put all the blame on an individual and say, the reason why God is not causing these things to work out together for good is because you, you do not love God. But don't worry, don't worry. I will show you how to love God. We can start with some important things like, have you been giving your tithe? How about that one? Let's take a look at your checkbook and see whether or not you've been giving 
your tithes. Now, I've got a lot to say about the subject of tithing. I did a whole series on the subject of tithing, and if you haven't heard that yet, definitely listen to that series I did on tithing. Of course, the first program is an absolute shock and awe. I begin to really address the subject in the second program, but listen to those programs. Because this is what people usually start with. They start with, are you giving your tithes? Are you in church every Sunday? Do you have the holy attitude, the attitude of holiness and righteousness and I love God? Do you have that? Because if you don't, then God owes you nothing. That's how people deal with this. And don't worry, it gets even better. We can keep reading. It says, to those who are called according to his purpose. So if you love God... With everything you've got, especially your money, and you love God with all of your free time that you volunteer for everything that comes your way, and you do everything for God to show Him that you love Him, and you do everything you can to get all the sin out of your life, if you do all of that, and things still don't work out for you, if good does not result to compensate for all of the bad that you have had to deal with, don't worry. All we have to do is look at the end of verse 28 where it says, those who are called according to his purpose, and I can now tell you that you are probably not one of those who are called according to his purpose. That all of this has been a total waste of your life. This is what people hear. This is what people say. This is what people believe. This is a serious problem that I have witnessed Since I became a believer in Jesus, I have seen this all over the world. I have seen this everywhere. And I have talked with countless numbers of people who say that they were once a Christian, but totally reject the faith entirely. Why? Because of stuff like this. I see this verse. I don't have a problem with this verse. I love this verse. But what people think it says to me, is totally wrong. I don't think it says any of this. Any of this at all. I really don't. I think it says something completely different than what other people are believing, but this is what people are believing. And you need to get in touch with this if you are going to withstand the religious abuse that people are perpetrating all over the world. If you are going to withstand that, and if you are going to help others deal with this abuse that they are getting, then you have got to deal with this verse, and you have got to deal, you've got to understand, and you have got to have answers concerning these issues, because these are some very serious issues. They are serious because they keep people from embracing the Lord, they keep people from being saved, and they keep people from walking in the salvation that they probably have. That's how important this is and why I'm willing to spend so much time talking about what this does not say to prepare you for what I believe it does say. Because this is going on all over the world and I don't hear anybody dealing with this, but somebody's got to deal with this and so I'm going to deal with it. Again, in verse 28, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, there's a lot to be said about this, especially because there are a couple of more verses here, verse 29 and verse 30, where we see the subject of predestination and other things related to that. I will speak about these verses, but before I do, I want you to know that I do not believe that God causes everything of all kinds and all ways to happen 
that he is the one who is orchestrating everything. I don't. I believe that this is a God who is participating in our lives. Now, I've done a lot of programs on this subject already, and so I'm not going to get into too many details related to these individual subjects that I believe are not here. I'm not going to do that. In this program, I'm trying to stay focused on the verse-by-verse study through the book of Romans. So I'm taking some time to deal with it, but I'm not going to take as much time as I know a lot of people would like me to take. There are other programs that I have done that I think you should listen to, programs such as Suffering. I did a series of programs on the subject of suffering. Listen to the program I did on Negotiating with Abraham and also The Joy of Adam. Again, the programs on Suffering, Negotiating with Abraham, The Joy of Adam. In those programs, I talk about the underlying issues related to being a participant in the world that God has created and to understand how he is participating. I would like to refer you to those programs, and there are some others. But in this program, what I'm going to do is I'm going to move forward beyond what I do not think that this says, and I'm going to go ahead and proceed into those things that I think that it says. Now, the bias that I have to overcome in order to make this transition that many people are faced with, is that a lot of this stuff concerning God causing all things to work together for good and God predestining all things, the bias that people have I generally refer to as campfire theology. That's generally what I describe it as, or how I describe it. I refer to this as campfire theology. Now, theology is a big subject, and there are schools that are built for the purpose of theology, Theology is just a general word that means the study of God, that we really believe that we can study God as if we can put him under a microscope and study him and figure out all these things. I call this campfire theology, where people can just as easily get around a campfire and ask all kinds of questions related to the idea of God. Things like, if there was a God, what would he be like? What would he have to be like if he was a God? Well, he definitely can't be like us. And so what are our inadequacies? How would we describe our deficiencies? Well, there are things like we don't know everything. And so if there's a God, he definitely cannot be deficient concerning knowing everything. And so he has to know everything. And we can't be everywhere. And so if there's a God, he definitely has to be everywhere. And he has to see all things because we cannot see all things. This is called campfire theology, where we start with the premise that there is a God, and if there is a God, then he cannot be like us, because we're not, and so he overcomes, or he compensates, for all of our deficiencies in himself, because he is going to be perfect, and we create perfection in our own minds, and we start creating a God in our own minds, on the basis of what makes sense. Now, the obstacle here is that most of this stuff makes sense. There is nothing wrong with the logic that people have in many ways. There are some logical fallacies, but don't worry. That's why we continue to do theology and study God, because we're constantly trying to find a way to reconcile these small issues that we can't quite reconcile entirely. But my point is, is that you don't have to be saved. You don't have to know God to ask these kinds of questions and come up with rational answers. You don't have to believe that there is a God. All you have to do is fantasize about one. 
Now, do we have a history of anybody doing this? Do we have any examples in the history of philosophy where people have attempted to answer these kinds of questions? Of course we do. Consider the philosophy of the Greeks, Plato, Socrates, Aristotle. How about those guys? Do you know anything about these guys? Have you ever read and studied any of their works? I think it's a worthwhile thing to do. I'm not going to give you a complete course on the subject of Platonic thought and Aristotle and Socrates. I'm not going to do that. I don't have the time for that or the funding. My point, though, is to say that people have given this subject a lot of thought in the past. And unfortunately, what people have thought of in the past has carried on into this day. For example, what happened to the philosophy of Plato and Aristotle and Socrates? Do you think it just died out? Do you think that people just ignore it? Absolutely not. It has entered into the church. It has entered into the secular world that has the absence of religion. It is everywhere. Even if a person does not know Plato or Aristotle, even if they don't know them, even if they haven't studied their works, it doesn't mean that they don't believe the same things that those guys did, because in general, they do. These were pagans, who were the basis and the foundation of pagan Greek philosophy. That's what I'm referring to. And this pagan Greek philosophy has entered into the church. It has entered into Christianity. There's a long and glorious history of it. For example, consider Augustine. Augustine, if you check any encyclopedia and read the historical articles concerning Augustine, you will find that he is considered to be one of the most influential Christian theologians in the entire history of Christianity. And some encyclopedias are so bold as to tell you why. The reason why Augustine is considered to be the most influential Christian theologian of all time in the entire history of the church is because he found a way to interpret the Bible according to the philosophy of pagan Greek philosophers such as Plato, Aristotle, and Socrates. That's why he is so famous, because he takes pagan philosophy that unbelievers believe in in one way or another, and he brought it into the church, and in that way, people who did not know God found it easy to embrace his philosophy because they didn't understand the Bible anyway, and so let's interpret it from a pagan perspective. Again, people don't understand the Bible, and they don't know the Lord anyway, and so it's easier for them to embrace a pagan perspective of what they see, believing that it is the truth, that it is God, that it is holy. And who further perpetuated the beliefs of Augustine? Calvin believed everything that Augustine had to say. He said that in his writings, that he conformed to and he believed everything that Augustine had to say, and Augustine was well known as being an individual who believed in the philosophy of Plato and the other Greek philosophers, and that that is how he interpreted the scriptures. So if you follow the chain of theology all the way back before the time of the Lord Jesus, you will find that it has been superimposed onto the scriptures in such a way that what the scriptures truly say and who the God of the scriptures truly is has been overshadowed or has been hidden, has been covered by these other philosophies that people are trying to impose on him. 
that people are trying to place on him. And some people have recognized some of the fallacies, but unfortunately, they have taken competing philosophical views from pagan Greek philosophy, such as Armenianism. You know, this debate between Calvinism and Armenianism is nothing more, to me, than two different pagan Greek philosophies competing with each other, claiming that we have to find some balance between the two. But I'm telling you right now that there is virtually no truth in either one of them, and we are not to try to find some balance between these two extremes, but to instead get out of it entirely because there just isn't anything there. There's nothing there at all. It is nothing more than pagan Greek philosophy that has been used in the church, and unfortunately it is virtually impossible to eliminate it, first of all, because it makes sense. There are logical conclusions concerning this, and when we make certain assumptions about God, they make perfect sense. But of course, this is not the only reason. There's a huge amount of money involved. There's a massive amount of money involved in this kind of philosophy. And so for a person to break out of it will cost them, will cost them a lot. You're not going to be able to get a position in a church because the people believe this. And you're not going to be able to graduate from a seminary because the people in the seminary teach it because they know that they have to supply pastors and priests and ministers who believe this kind of stuff to their congregations. Otherwise, they're not going to get any students anymore. There is a codependency that exists between the people, the pastors, or the people, the priesthood, and the seminaries. There is a codependency that exists in such a way that there is no way to solve this problem within this system. You have to completely come out of it. You've got to come out of it entirely because it is so corrupted that there is no way to get any other message across than that. The corruption is that bad. So there's a lot to be said about this, but the answer is not to find some way to rationally explain the problems and the fallacies. People already know the rational complications that exist. Those who study this long enough know that. I'm not going to attempt to give a complete explanation concerning all of the philosophies, all of their fallacies, and how to find some way to compensate for these issues. Instead, I'm going to go right to the truth and tell you that God is here, that he is participating. You are here. You are participating. There is lots of evil. There is lots of suffering. And he will do something. He will bring good in the midst of all of the issues of life. And I will begin to explain this in the next program. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net Thank you,